start just by reading Luke 24, 1 through 7. It'll be on the screen. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. We, we're not going to memorize this whole passage together, um, but what I do want us to do, I really enjoyed how we would read sections of Scripture together as we were uh, walking through memorizing them. We'll kind of get back to that over the next, uh, upcoming weeks and months. But what I want to do is just to read this one section that, uh, Dale, if you can pull back up, um, go backwards in the slide, where he is not here but has risen. Perfect. So let's just read that, that first line together. Ready? He is not here, but has risen. Like this right here is the, is the truth that we celebrate on Easter. Uh, it's what our Christian belief hinges upon. It's what our Christian belief hinges upon. And no matter what passage of Scripture we might be reading from, whatever the sermon might be on, whatever topic we might be talking about, this is at the center of it all. I mean, Paul says that if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. Our, our belief is worthless if Christ was not risen from the grave. And this morning, we are actually going to continue on with our What We Believe series. And I want to say right off the bat that I think that the fact that Christ is risen from the grave is at the center of what we're going to look at this morning, which is baptism. I think it fits very, very perfectly into what we are looking at. And I know some people might be thinking, but, but it's Easter. You've got to do a specific Easter sermon. You've got to stay in, in Luke 24, 1 through 7 the whole time. You've got to talk about the empty grave, and we are, but in, in, a, in a different way. It actually, I would claim that we planned it out for a baptism to fall on Easter, but that, that's not at all. That's just kind of how it worked out. We're like, hey, that's really cool. We're going to do that because it fits so perfectly with um, what we're going to celebrate today. If you want to go ahead and start turning to Romans 6, um, I invite you to do so. We're also going to be in Colossians 2. So if you want to try to hold your finger in both places, if you're, in, if you're using digital, good luck doing that. But we're going to be in both places, and we're going to get there in a couple minutes. I... As I was preparing this week, I, I was um, quite far along in kind of studying and preparing, and I realized that what I had done in preparing was assume that everyone was on the same page with what it means when we celebrate Easter, what it means when we talk about baptism. And I kind of assumed that going along, and I was like, hold on, let me backtrack. Let me like, kind of start fresh and act like we know nothing. Because as I, as I do this, what I want to challenge you to do is try to listen to this with fresh ears. I'm just kind of going to walk through why we celebrate Easter. Kind of going to walk through just about five minutes worth of why are we celebrating today. And sometimes I wish that I could 
hear something for the very first time again and, and be kind of in wonder and amazement at it. Because um, I think it's easy to assume, oh yeah, I know what he's going to say, so I'm going to just already hear it before I say it. But try your best to hear this all for the very first time. So Easter Sunday is when Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. No eggs, no creepy Easter bunny, just Jesus. This is the one moment that we believe in, that our belief hinges upon. Because every single person who has walked on this earth has rebelled against the God who created them in his own image. Every single one of us, Adam, Eve, you, me, every other person, has, has decided that, that we know what true life means, that we know how to live, that we know how to go about being good, doing what we would view as good. Each one of us has cho chosen to worship something other than the Creator. Each one of us has tried to do our own thing in rebellion, in rebellion to God's commands. The Bible would say that, that this rejection of God as God, that, the, the, that our longing, our worship towards worldly things deserves judgment, deserves death because God is holy. God is perfect. God cannot be in the presence of sin. But God, those two words we talked about a couple weeks ago, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were deserving of this judgment, God, in his sovereign redeeming love, chose before the foundation of the world to save people. Not because of anything they would do, but because of his love. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he chose to send his own son to bear the punishment for our sin. All that judgment, all the punishment, that, the wrath that we deserved, Jesus took in our place. But Jesus didn't go to the cross just because some Romans wanted to kill him. But Jesus went to the cross because that's every moment of history had been pointing towards this. From the beginning of time, this had always been the plan. And that through his death, we might be forgiven. Sinners might be forgiven. But Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave, just as he promised. Death did not hold him. He, he conquered sin. He conquered death. Rose again to life. Because death had reigned from Genesis until this moment. Plants had lived. Plants had died. Animals had lived. Animals had died. People had lived. People had died. But Jesus changed this. On the third day, on Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death. And again, Paul says, if this doesn't happen, then our faith is futile, then we are trusting in a 
Savior who is dead. But Jesus did arise. And the Bible says that, if, that those that would trust in him for salvation, that they would be saved. The resurrection of Christ means everything because we trust in a risen Jesus, a, a Jesus who, who did not die and stay dead, but a, a Jesus that rose from the grave. We celebrate that on Easter specifically, but every day through the year we celebrate that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. The picture of baptism is very, very similar to this. It's an act of obedience done by Christians where we publicly profess our faith in Christ. It's this physical act representing what Christ has already done, what has already been done in our lives. We'll talk more about the method and mode and all that kind of stuff in a little bit. But what we're saying in baptism, when someone goes under the water and comes out of the water, is that we are united in death with Christ, but also we're raised to life. That we've been given life because of Christ. The newness of life. We've been given new life. And we're displaying that. It's already been done. Jesus accomplished that. But the celebration of baptism, the celebration of Easter, is celebrating this new life in Jesus. New life because of Jesus. So solely in Jesus. And I hope that that's where, what we'll see that that's the only thing that we'll see is we can get all caught up in all the disagreements with baptism. We can get caught up in all the, wait, what does baptism mean? Who should get baptized? How should you do it? We can get all caught up in all of that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But more than anything, more than I want to try to prove a point, more than I want to try to solve a debate, what I want us to see is I want this to lead us to celebrate the new life that can be found in Jesus. I pray that that's what we would celebrate. New life in Jesus, the Jesus that did not stay dead, but rose again. I want to run through just a couple things that we would say we believe about baptism. Um, I'm going to read um, Romans 6, 3 through 11 here in just a second. But I've never, I, I didn't say this yet, but we believe, first of all, that baptism in no way saves Baptism is not what saves us. Baptism plays no part in salvation. It does not complete salvation. It does not ultimately save us. I think that if someone's refusing to be baptized, I think that calls into question some other things. But baptism does not save us. It's the modeling. It's the display of something that has already been done within us. I'm going to read Romans 6, 3 through 11. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, we've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Like this right here is the, what baptism is displaying. As we go on to the we're displaying that we've died with him, that we've died to ourselves, we've desired, died to our desires. But we've also been given new life in him. He died so that we might not have to. But also, we're unified with him. We're united with him in his resurrection. United with him in his resurrection. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with him. We talked a couple weeks ago that we are, we've been brought into his family. We are one with him in this way. Baptism symbolizes our, our, our union with Christ. It's not what, it's not what does that. But it's our, it's our display, it's our proclamation of this truth. Look at verse 8, too. He says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. When we're baptized, we're saying, This is true, and I want everyone to know it. This is true. We also live with him. This might sound familiar, but he is where our hope, our faith, and our trust is. Tanner used that as a definition of worship. But that's, that's what it means. We, when, we live him, when we live with him, he is where our hope, our trust, and our faith is. It doesn't save us. Baptism does not save us. But it's what we do to show the church and the world the reality of what Jesus has done in our lives. So baptism is a sign of this union with Christ, but it's also something that, that Jesus modeled for us. There's, we could get really into the reason why Jesus was baptized, why the sinless, perfect Son of God was baptized but we're not going to this morning. But Jesus modeled this for us in Matthew 3. That was actually the last sermon prior to my first sermon. When I went back to look at it, I noticed Matthew 4 right after that, and I was like, I preached that before, a long time ago. But Jesus was baptized. But then he also commanded that we do it. I didn't talk about this a whole lot during the Great Commission um, when we um, spent a Sunday looking at that But Jesus said in Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's part of the disciple-making process. It's something that he's commanded that we do. This baptism is not just something that 
the early church thought of, the early church decided to start doing, that this would be something, hey, we should start doing this. It's, no, Jesus directly commanded them to do it. And even after Peter's first sermon at Pentecost, the first thing he says when he, he, he lays out the gospel for them, he says, you killed Jesus, he died for you. This was always the plan of God. The people say, oh, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. But also, because Jesus modeled that for us, he commanded that we baptize. It's, it's this picture of union with Christ. It makes sense that we believe that baptism is only for those people who have professed faith in Christ. It's not just something that anyone should go do. It's not something that anyone should do prior to having faith in Christ. This this would also lead us to say that we don't believe infants should be baptized because true baptism is for those whose faith has been placed in Christ. And this can't describe someone who's not a Christian. It can't describe an infant. But look at, look at verse 3 back in Romans 6 for a second. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This can only describe someone whose faith is in Jesus, that we might walk in the newness of life. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He's talking specifically to the church in Galatia, but he says, For all of you that have been baptized, you have put on Christ. For those of you who have been baptized, you have put on Christ. They're trusting in Christ for salvation. I said earlier that like, we don't believe that baptism saves. We don't believe that baptism plays any part in our salvation. But if you've noticed our covenant, our church covenant, they say that we, you'll see that we require someone to be saved, that we require someone to be baptized in believer's baptism prior to joining in our church. And if it's not required for salvation, then why would we require it as a church? Again, we, we believe that baptism is this external expression of an inward reality. It's this external expression of what Christ has already done in our lives. But in saying this, what is the role of the church in the world? We're, we're the body of Christ. We are... The body, Christ is the head. First Corinthians 12. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us to the world. Second Corinthians 5. The church is filled up of ambassadors for Christ. That, that is what we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. How can we be an ambassador of Christ without having first proclaimed him as having saved us, having, having identified with him. I mean, if you think about it, think of, people always use the, the 
the example of an ambassador being like a, an ambassador for America that lives in another country. That ambassador is only worth anything in, in as much as he's identified with the, his home country. But he's, he's publicly identified as an ambassador. What about this? Like, how can someone who has not been baptized, who has not publicly proclaimed their faith in Christ to the church, how can they be obedient to the Great Commission and teaching other people to be baptized, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you? Because he's already commanded that we be baptized. Like our faith in Christ is not a private matter. It's not something that we keep to ourselves. And that's what in baptism we're saying, I want everyone to know this. I want everyone to know what Christ has done for me. Like we believe this is important. This is why we say we want you have to be baptized in order to join the church because that's what we're all. That's what we are. A group of believers who are proclaiming Jesus, who are saying, yes, we are his. I'm not going to spend a long time talking about the, the mode of baptism. We can get caught up in this for a long time. And by that meaning, like, do we sprinkle? Do we immerse? Do, there's all sorts of different thoughts on this. Um, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we practice baptism by immersion. But to be honest, the Bible does not say, spell out exactly, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is exactly baptized. This is what it's going to look like. This is exactly um, how you're going to do it. But I do think the Bible gives some pretty good examples that we can follow from. Um, You don't have to flip there. They're going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read just three quick ones. Mark 1, 9 through 10 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. He came up out of the water. John 3, 23. John was baptizing at Anon near Salim because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Plentiful water. Seeming to, it doesn't say, you have to have plenty of water to be baptized, but it's, it makes a point to say there is plentiful water there. Acts 8, 36-39. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I believe, we believe that this points to baptism by immersion. But also what we believe with baptism, what it's symbolizing, I think that that baptism by immersion also beautifully displays. I said earlier, like, that we are, we're united. We are demonstrating our, 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 our death with Christ and our, and our new life in Christ. Whereas baptism displays that, going under the water, unifying with Christ's death. And then displaying our new life found in him coming out of the water. But I also think the Bible seems to give examples of immersion. But again, all of this, 
what baptism is displaying is this inward reality of what Christ has already accomplished, what Christ has already done. Go ahead and start flipping over to Second Corinthians, or sorry, Colossians two. Colossians two. Those of you that had your finger there are already there. Paper is the way to go. Just saying. But we believe that baptism is extremely important in proclaiming our identity in Christ. It's one of the two ordinances that Jesus left for us as the church, along with communion. That's why we, we seek to be faithful in how we baptize and who we baptize. But also, I want to get back to what it is that Christ has done. Because baptism, we said, is this public declaration of what Christ has already done. So let's go ahead and read. I'm going to read verses 8 through 14 in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, 8 through 14. Well, I didn't actually flip there myself. Hold on. All right. Starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the word, the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." In the Old Testament, sorry, I just messed up my notes. In the Old Testament, circumcision was given to um, the Jews, and is a sign of the covenant. The males eight days old were circumcised as part of their inclusion into the covenant. It was this physical action that displayed them as set apart as the people of God. And this this went through bloodlines. This Jewish Parents would circumcise their children as an inclusion into the covenant. But if you'll remember, Tanner, he talked about this last week, and we read this verse again at uh, um, the Good Friday service. This is from 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus, he says, This is a new covenant. A new covenant in my blood. Look back at Colossians 2 in verse 11. He says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. See, it was no longer a physical circumcision that was going to mark off the people of God, but it was a circumcision made without hands that Jesus alone was going to do, that Christ alone was going to do. 
Because the need for a circumcision of the heart was always the greatest need. The, the Old Testament's full of this. Jeremiah 4 is an example. They, it's, full, it's, it's more than just this physical circumcision that's needed, but it's a new heart that Ezekiel talks about. It's a circumcision of the heart. And this is what Christ brought about. Colossians 2.13 And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Christ did that. He did that. Our sin, our shame, that specific sin you've wrestled with for years, that sin that comes back time and time again, every single thing that you could think of in your life specifically, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. No longer do we identify with this. No longer do we identify with our sin, our shame, that any sin in your life, that is not our, our identity. That Jesus went to the cross for that. Whatever it is, Jesus went to the cross so that you might be forgiven. He paid the price. But now that we live just as he lives, that we can live through his death, through his resurrection, we can live just as he lives. We who are dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh are now alive. See, like the new covenant that Jesus enacted says that through faith in Christ, through faith in his atoning sacrifice, we are united with Christ in life. We've been raised to life through his sacrifice, through his conquering of death. Like that's what we celebrate on Easter. Easter is good news. We celebrate because of what Christ has done. Not, that what we, not because of what we've done but because of what Jesus has done. That's why baptism, like, we, we clap after baptism. We're excited when people are baptized. It's this joyous moment because it's someone saying that, hey, Jesus did this for me. I'm united with him. I claim him. I want the whole world to know this. And that's the beauty of Easter is that Jesus is alive and in, and in him we can be too. If you profess faith in Christ, if you claim Christ as your salvation and have not been baptized as a believer in Christ, as someone who has professed faith in Christ, I would encourage you to do so. If you've not been baptized as a follower of Christ, after believing in him, I would encourage you to do so. You would follow in this obedience. If you have been baptized, for some of you this may have been a month ago, this may have been 20, 30 years ago, 
Many, many of you may not even remember this. Some of you may hurt knowing that it was that long ago. I saw the pain from up here in the front row. But if maybe you don't remember much about it, I would say I would fall into that category. It's having it been a long time ago. But do you still feel the joy that should accompany that moment of publicly declaring your faith in Christ? Like, has it grown old? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Not physical age old. But do you still feel the joy of that, even if it was a long time ago? Listen, I don't think that we should rebaptize people who maybe forget that initial joy, but maybe we just need to remind ourselves of that joy that comes with professing our faith in Christ publicly and letting the whole world know that we are His and what He has done. Like, have you ever seen someone be baptized and they just like throw their hands up, excited? Praise Jesus. But like, as... I was thinking about it this week, picturing that, picturing that picture. I also pictured Tanner standing up here saying how uncomfortable it is to raise your hands, and now I kind of feel it. But like to raise your hands in, in worship, in submission, with eyes closed. It's that same picture, though, because it's worship. It's saying, you've, you've done this. I have not done this. I am yours in submission, in worship. Do you still feel that way? Do you still feel that way? this excited, this proud, not proud because of what you've done, but boasting in only Jesus. Excited over what he's done. Excited that you are able to be in on that, that that new life. Do you still feel joy? Remember that you've been baptized, that you've celebrated that. And I would encourage you to celebrate that again in maybe a new way. Maybe it's just reminding yourself of that time, reminding yourself that you are his. Maybe neither one of these categories describe you. Maybe you don't know Jesus Do you hear nothing else this morning? Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, his defeating death makes your salvation possible. Your salvation possible. Nothing you can do, nothing I can do, nothing anyone else can do. His death, his resurrection makes your salvation possible. Just as Peter says in Acts 2, repent and be baptized. This is the call. If you've not professed your faith in Christ, if you've not been saved, Peter's just going to repeat him. Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. If you've not already done so, I would encourage you to do this. If you've not been baptized as a believer, what's stopping you? And we'll fill it up right now.
We would do it. We're going to be here for a while during lunch. We will fill it up right now if we have to. And we want to. Like, we're, we're going to celebrate. We're going we're to sing a song that says, The cross that meant to kill was my, is my victory. Like, we can sing that loudly and boldly in celebration because it's true. Like, if we are professing faith in Christ, the cross that was meant to kill is our victory. That we are united with him in his death, but also in his resurrection. I just pray that, that through all this, as, we, as, we, as you think about baptism, as you think about your own baptism, I, I, I just encourage you to really think that you've been given new life. New life. The newness of life in Romans 6. Celebrate that. Celebrate that. That is exciting. We've been united with him in a death like his. And we're united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate our life in Christ. Celebrate what he has done. The death did not hold him, but that he is risen. Let's pray.